evening, everybody, and welcome to a TripAdvisor for fertility clinics. Would you recommend it? I'm Sarah Norcross, and I'm the director of the Progress Educational Trust. Progress is a charity that does public engagement and policy work around the areas of assisted conception, genetics, and stem cell and embryo research. And we engage with policymakers, with medical professionals, with patients, with ordinary people, uh, whoever they are, um, to try and, and inform the debate and create an environment in which ethically sound research and practice will thrive. And that's something that is for everybody's benefit. It's for those, the benefits of those who work in the sector, that they can work with confidence, that they know what their parameters are, and it's for the benefit for the people who are affected by fertility um, problems and genetic conditions. This evening uh, wouldn't be happening without the generous support of the British Fertility Society. But I'm really um, excited about the topic of this debate because I used to run a patient support group. So I sort of come with a, you know, from very much a patient-focused background here. And I know from, you know from doing that, and still in my current job, people ask me very regularly, which clinic would you recommend? And I was like, mm, don't ask me. You know, I never, I never do it in my professional capacity at all. I think it's a really interesting topic to debate about how people choose a clinic and what helps them to make those decisions. So it's a great pleasure now to introduce tonight's chair, Professor Adam Balin. Adam not only works uh, full-time as an NHS consultant, specialising in polycystic ovary syndrome and assisted conception. He's the chair of the British Fertility Society. He's on several World Health Organisation groups um, and committees and editorial boards, and he's written several books. But he also still finds the time to play tennis. So I'm going to hand over now and put the ball firmly in his court. He is totally in charge now, and I will shut up till the end. Thank you very much, Sarah, and... Uh... Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the RCOG. It's a, it's a great um, pleasure for the British Fertility Society to be hosting this event. And I'm, we have a very interesting panel of speakers who are going to be debating this, this uh, very important issue, actually, about um, patient feedback through to fertility clinics. As I'm sure you'll be aware, um, assisted conception treatments in the UK are one of the most highly regulated areas of medicine and appropriately so we're very happy and comfortable to be regulated um, by the HFEA but also sadly fertility therapy in the UK is one of the most poorly funded areas of medicine and therein lies the rub so we have many couples who are forced to self-fund their, 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 their treatment um, because they're not eligible for NHS funding for all sorts of reasons. And there's the postcode lottery, and this isn't a political platform, so I'm not going to go along that mantra. But it does lead into the, the, the whole debate here and the variation that there is around the country, not only in the funding for fertility care, but the provision of fertility care, the nature of the clinics that are providing the care which also will vary widely around the country. So should we have feedback from patients? Of course we should have feedback from patients. We take our feedback extremely seriously. Um, not only do clinics um, 
give their patients questionnaires to fill in after their treatment. The HFEA, prior to every clinic's annual inspection, will send out questionnaires that need to be filled in. But at the moment, the outcome of those questionnaires isn't published. Now, that, that's the um, reason for this evening's debate. The accessibility of that information, who should see the information, and also, of course, most importantly, to ensure that that information is appropriately representative. So it sounds like a very good idea um, to have feedback available in the public domain. But at the same time, as I'm sure we'll hear this afternoon, it's important that it's balanced, that it's in, within an appropriate legal framework, um, and also that it's representative. So um, I'm sorry that Muir Gray isn't here this evening, but very pleased that Jakub has stood in, in at the very last minute. But I went on the NHS Choices website yesterday um, to look at my GP. And I was sorry to see that my GP had... Because you can provide a star rating to your G, on your GP practice through the NHS Choices website. And I was sorry to see that my GP only had one star. Only had one rater. So I went on, and actually I've been very pleased with my GP. And there are a series of questions that you have to answer. And I gave my GP five stars, and there's some free text at the end. And then I had to identify myself with an email address, uh, but I could remain anonymous, and I did remain anonymous. And so my GP's one star went to three stars after that one review. So now my GP has two reviews. So I thought, I wonder if I could do it a second time. <laughs> and I did, using the same email address. Um, and so that just illustrates quite succinctly where some of the issues may be that need to be ironed out um, as we move forward with um, the feedback from patients who attend fertility clinics and the other thing to say, of course, is that when I filled in this, this questionnaire about my GP, there was nothing to say that um, I was a patient of the practice. I could have been anybody. Um, I could be a rival GP if I wanted to be negative. I could be the partner of the GP if I wanted to be positive. So we can easily see where some of the problems may be. So I'll leave it at that because I'm sure there'll be lots of, lots of questions and I'm looking forward to an exciting discussion at the end. Each of the speakers have been given seven minutes and so it's a great pleasure to introduce Juliet Tizard who's Director of Strategy and Corporate Affairs at the HFEA. Juliet's been involved within with different roles but within the sphere of reproductive medicine for many, many years. She's a She's an old friend, and I very much look forward to hearing what uh, Juliet has to say. Less of the old, thank you very much. <coughs> thank you, Adam, and thank you to Progress Educational Trust for putting on um, such an interesting debate. And it's kind of an honour to have it uh, based on something that uh, we're doing at the HFEA. So I feel very privileged to have a whole debate dedicated to what we're planning to do and to allow me to come along and sort of introduce the debate this evening. So thank you very much for that. Haven't got long, so I thought I would quickly explain what we're planning to do 
and importantly, why we're planning to do it, what's, what's kind of decided and what's still up for grabs. And I'd be very excited to hear about your views about what our ambitions are in this particular area. So our goal at the HFEA um, as the regulator is high-quality care for everyone affected by assisted reproduction. That's what we want to bring about. And for us, although we're a regulator and therefore care about and inspect against standards and um, the services that are provided in clinics and laboratories, we think that um, quality of care is not just about the standards and the extent to which clinics comply with them, but also about helping and facilitating patients making choices about their treatment and um, preparing them for the treatment they're about to embark upon. And one way of doing that is through a feature, a kind of tool that we've had on our website since 2009 called Choose a Fertility Clinic. 60% of patients in the UK pay for their own cycle of IVF treatment. And they probably pay um, in the private sector, maybe maybe this is a bit London skewed, but three, five thousand pounds, something like that. And regardless of whether you're paying or not, the decisions that you need to make about uh, your treatment and where you go for that treatment are obviously very big, life-changing um, decisions to make. And we, in 2009, decided to launch a service that would help, clin- um, would help patients when they come to think about where they're going to go for treatment. And listed on the tool at the moment are 93 IVF clinics, 16 RUI clinics, and a number of satellite and transport clinics as well, so kind of feeder clinics into the licensed um, ones that we have. And as I said, this was launched in 2009. I've bought up Adam's Clinic, because I thought that was probably uh, the fairest choice. A lot has changed since we launched this service, since 2009, not just the way that you uh, design websites and the technology that you build them on, and you can see how old this service looks from that point of view, but healthcare has changed too, and the way that people make choices around healthcare, not just in fertility treatment, but beyond. There's a lot more statistics published about the outcomes of different kinds of treatments, and there's increasingly, as as I mentioned, around uh, by using NHS choices as an, as an example, there's a lot more patient feedback in the system, and that's something that's come to be much more front and centre when it comes to people um, researching treatments and researching places that they can have their treatment. And so what was kind of ahead of the times a little bit by, by publishing a website with statistics, like outcome statistics, pregnancy rates and birth rates, has now in the five years gone a little bit behind the curve, to be honest. And as part of a much bigger review of our information systems at the HFEA, what we collect from clinics, how we analyse and process and store it, and how we publish it, we are going to be making some changes to our website, our information for patients, and specifically our clinic tool. And we've been talking to lots of people over the last year or so about how we should approach this. We've formed some groups with patients and people working in clinics and taken their views about um, what we should do. So what are we going to do? We are going to redesign the Choose a Fertility Clinic tool and possibly rename it because it's quite a mouthful um, to make it easier to understand, to navigate around, to make it a little bit easier to compare clinics and to present the outcome statistics in a more meaningful and easy-to-understand way. What we're also planning to do is make our inspection findings more visible. We do publish our inspection reports, but they're quite buried 
um, in the website. And because they're written with uh, the audience for those inspection reports is a licensing committee, they're not particularly penetrable to people um, who are researching a clinic. So we plan to make that information about how we've assessed them as a regulator more visible, perhaps with a summary of, of the findings from, that, from the latest inspection. And uh, more pertinently for tonight's debate, we, for the first time, want to include patient feedback that will appear on each clinic's profile about that clinic. So that's what's new for us. And I, um, like Adam, I went on to NHS Choice's website and I looked for GPs in the area where I live. And um, you can see that there are lots of different measures. It depends whether you're looking for dentists or GP surgeries or hospitals. There are different measures and different ratings that, are, uh, that appear on the website. But you can see there's an element of compliance with various standards, ratings, and other features that are kind of scored and allow people to compare um, different, in this example, GP practices. We thought long and hard about how to go about collecting patient feedback. There was lots of interest in doing so. This is how we present our statistics at the moment. They're difficult to understand, and they dominate the website, and we don't want to do that anymore. We think that, um, and lots of professionals think, that looking at statistics is not the best alone, is not the best way of choosing a service. And it's difficult to overemphasize the state of confusion potential patients feel as they absorb their infertility diagnoses and are confronted with lots of glossy information from private clinics. So I just make two points. Why are we doing it? Because it will help patients make more rounded and better judgments about where to go for their treatment. It will let them see the statistics, the pregnancy rates. It will let them see what we make of them as a regulator. And it will let them see what other patients feel having gone through the experience of being treated in that clinic. And it will also improve the quality of care in clinics. Because as my boss always says to me, feedback is a gift. How can you know how well you're doing if you don't ask people? Of course, clinics ask people. But if that information is available to clinics to act on, why shouldn't it be available for people who are choosing a clinic and deciding whether, where to go for an important, life-changing event and where they're quite possibly going to spend a lot of money? So I think there are some risks and the things that I worry about and we worry about at the HFPA. But I think we feel that they're things that can be addressed. They're not fundamental things that mean we shouldn't do this, that this is an important enough thing to try and grapple with the downsides and the risks of doing it so that... Most so that um, we can allow people to and, and reflect that the quality of care in a clinic is not just about how likely you are to get pregnant. Of course, that's important, but it's the care you receive and how well you feel supported in going through that journey. Thank you very much. Thank you, Juliet. I appreciate it. it's uh, a hard task in seven minutes. So now, uh, Professor Yakub Kalaf, who is Professor of Reproductive Medicine um, at Guy's and St. Thomas's, um, and also sits on the HFEA, a member of the BFF Executive Committee, and also chairs the um, Clinical Studies Group on Reproductive Medicine in the UK. Akub is a highly respected researcher and so um, leads the sort of research committee for the RCOG and British Fertility Society. Thank you very much, Adam, and thank you for the generous introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, just before I launch into my argument, I have a conflict of interest to make. Already Adam mentioned that I am a member of the HFA uh, authority, and as such, I'm speaking as a clinician, as someone who deals with patients day in and day out. It is not on behalf of the organization, because Julia did this job very well. 
Now, why would I argue for the initiative that will give the patient more information? It's not just more in quantity, but in quality, it will be more three-dimensional than just focusing on one side of what we do, which is the success rate, which sometimes can be meaningful, most of the time can't be interpreted meaningfully uh, to reflect what or how good or not so good a clinic is. I would probably make an educated guess that if you speak to patients themselves, they would welcome any extra piece of information about what journey they should expect, in addition, of course, to the other parameters that matters to them in assessing a clinic. And as far as the patients are concerned, we see it day in and day out. They are busy chatting to each other about their experiences in different centers on websites, whether it is Fertility Friends or Mums Nets or name it, whichever network you can think of. And patients appreciate knowing or having upfront knowledge about which clinic and what kind of experience they should expect. We know that for every new initiative or for every tool, because after all, this is a tool about informing patients and empowering them. For every tool, it has a method failure and it has a use failure. But just we have few unwanted pregnancies from failure to use oral contraceptive pills, we should not dismiss it as the greatest or one of the greatest invention that medicine has introduced. To draw the analogy here, we have a tool. We have a tool whereby patients will have a rounded views or information or idea about a particular clinic. Yes, it has the potential of being abused, but isn't the current system being abused? Isn't it better to use a near satisfactory system of advising patients and allow for abuse? And th those who abuse it really are missing a trick. Juliet said feedback is a gift. There is a common say where it says feedback is a, ch is a breakfast of champions. And those clinics which pay little attention to feedback and try to get by and perhaps use, I, I, I just can't comprehend that anyone will be doing that because if people can be can't be trusted with this indicator, how they can be trusted to deliver medical care? So I'm not particularly concerned about this. And how many of us as customers will go on to try to get as, many informa as much information as possible before, before we make a choice about which hotel or which uh, 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 holiday we uh, would book? It is an opportunity for the clinics to produce real improvement based on the feedback that their patient will share with them. And that patient experience has become part of the medical care, be it NHS or private care, because it's not just about delivering the final product in isolation. Having it after a journey of torture and const constant stress will not go, go down very well. It is an opportunity for the clinic to show that they listen because they will take some action in response to that feedback and to increase their rating and acceptability by patients. And if they demonstrate that they listen, they will give a clear and ample example to their patients that they care. And that is what all patients are after. Because for patients, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Thank you for your attention. who's Chief Executive of Infertility Network UK, which is the 
National Patient Support Group and is also Chair of Fertility Fairness, which is um, a lobbying group trying to enhance NHS funding and equity around the UK for the funding of assisted conception. Susan. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as Adam has said, I'm the Chief Executive of the Patient Organisation Infertility Network UK. And when the idea of a trip advisor for fertility clinics was first introduced to me, I was actually seriously worried. It was described as a, a trip advisor star rating system. And the reason I was very worried was because I think it has huge potential to go seriously wrong. Now, we've heard that patients say they want to have feedback on the HFEA website, um, and they may possibly say that, but is that because they assume that everyone's views of a clinic are the same as theirs? They think their views of a clinic are universal and that every other patient will have the same take on a clinic as they will. Um, but actually, not everybody has the same expectations and not everybody has the same experience or wants to have the same experience at a fertility clinic. Patient views are totally subjective, particularly when while going through fertility treatment. And I've taken a couple of examples of comments that we receive from patients about their fertility clinic, which highlight some of the areas that they felt were important to them. So if we take a look at some of the comments from the first patient, um, you know, just reading through them, she wasn't particularly enthusiastic about her clinic. She wasn't impressed. She didn't feel the staff were very supportive. She also said that she felt mistakes could be made very easily. She said she didn't feel very comfortable there. Now, that in itself is a very subjective comment, but that was her take on the clinic. If you were a patient and you were looking at that review, would you feel inclined to go along to that clinic? Moving on to a second patient commenting on her clinic, um, she said that the, the facilities were perhaps not as good as at some of the private hospitals, but she felt that the staff more than made up for it. So again, she was very focused on the staff. She felt the staff were very caring and they were very supportive. And she felt that actually she had had a particularly good experience at her clinic. So you see that I've rated them. The first one I gave a one-star rating, and the second one I've guessed at maybe a three-star rating. She maybe would have given it more. The HFEA are considering publishing patient views of clinics on their website. These might be the kind of comments that they would get. But the thing is, these reviews both rate to exactly the same clinic. Another thing I worry about is unless we ensure that all patients actually complete a review of the clinic, I think there's a huge risk that we might only get the extreme views um, and not really a broad representation. I looked at the ratings for one hospital on the NHS Choices website, which has over 300 reviews. Um, it has an average rating of three and a half stars. But actually, almost all the comments had either one or five stars. And again, to me, that suggests that the people who will post a review are those who have either a very, very good or a very bad experience. And how do you rate that experience? What do you base it on? The two examples I've showed focused very much on the staff because that was clearly what was important to the patients and came up with two very different views of what was the same fertility clinic. And that's because these issues are very subjective. And that's the reason that Infertility Network UK has never allowed clinics or staff to be named on our website because I think it only takes one negative comment to create a very wrong and negative impression um, of a clinic. 
The HFEA website is one of the few places online where patients can actually find robust, reliable information in what out there is actually a sea, a vast sea of um, misinformation. Patients know the HFEA website is accurate, they know it's reliable, um, and I would hate them to ruin that reputation by doing something which patients can find on other, much less reputable sites. I think patients will assume any rating system will come with the HFEA seal of approval because I don't think it's possible to separate patient comments from the HFEA brand if they're posted on the site. Um, and I think any kind of star system could be the worst possible outcome because that's what patients will focus on. I also worry that any rating system could be very easily manipulated by clinics, not by clinics posting false reviews, although there is always that possibility, but actually good clinics with good marketing people will find it very, very easy to encourage patients who've had a good experience to post a good review. And not all clinics will have the capacity to do that. And if you're an NHS patient with no choice as to where you go and you look at your clinic and it has negative comments, how are you going to feel about going along there for your treatment? Now, I'm not saying that having patient feedback is wrong because it's not. And there are measurable ways that you can assess how patient-friendly a clinic is. Um, you can look at whether they have a support group, do they provide counselling, what the weight for counselling is. Simple things like, is the clinic actually away from the antenatal clinic or are the posters of babies in the waiting room because it doubles up as a parent craft class. All of these are accurate and measurable and these things matter to patients. So would I recommend a TripAdvisor review system for fertility clinics? Not on the basis of patient, subjective patient comments and a star system. On the basis of a review completed by all patients on objective measurable issues, then yes. So last, it's a pleasure to introduce Antonia Foster, who's senior associate um, at the law firm Carter Ruck, um, who she specializes there in media litigation, reputation management, and also has significant experience in the field of assisted conception regulation. Good evening. Um, firstly, I should start by declaring an interest in that um, I have been involved in litigation against the HFEA, but tonight I very much come in peace and uh, won't let that affect everything, everything I say tonight. <laughs> Um, I think in today's world of social media, the, constant, the concept of being able to give an instant review is something we've all grown very used to, whether it's a restaurant review or a product we've ordered from Amazon, whether it was the colour we expected or whatever it might be. I think a review of a medical institution is something completely different um, and has other considerations that need to be taken in, into account. Um, the legal considerations are really where I'm coming from tonight, so I hope I don't bore you too much, but we'll give it a go. Um, one of the real issues with all sorts of review sites is the potential for a re reviewer, inadvertently or otherwise, to defame the person that they're reviewing. And this could happen just as much in terms of a medical institution or an IVF clinic as anywhere else. Um, it's really relatively easy to defame someone. You can do it really without trying too hard. All you have to do is publish an allegation of an identifiable person or corporation uh, that would make the man in the street think that look worse of them if they were to read the particular allegation. Uh, and it has to be necessary for the purposes of bringing any court action to demonstrate that allegation caused serious harm. So thinking back to some of the examples we've just been looking at, uh, an allegation perhaps printed on a TripAdvisor website that uh, the clinic was always running late might not be something anybody would take too seriously. 
but an allegation that led to an uh, inference of clinical malpractice might be something that a clinic would feel extremely strongly about for obvious reasons. So there are all sorts of reputational and, uh, and legal issues at play there. I thought in the short time we've got, I would look at it from three angles. Um, so legal concerns for the reviewer stroke patient. Secondly, the legal concerns for the, um, the HFEA. Uh, and finally, the concerns that uh, might arise for the clinics. Dealing first with the patients, I think there's a common lack of understanding um, across most of us who use uh, websites and blogs uh, reasonably regularly that publication of any kind of allegation on Twitter or whatever, it, or whatever else it might be is publication for the purposes of a complaint uh, in defamation. And I think people tend to be less guarded online than they might be if they were having to give a view face-to-face -face or in a considered letter or something of, of that nature. Um, and another thing that people don't readily understand is that even on Twitter, you could potentially be sued for a tweet or a retweeting of, of an article or, or a retweeting of a tweet. Um, you could find yourself on the end of legal proceedings. In most cases, it's not going to happen, but technically that, that's the position. The other issue is that, that the HFEA themselves might have to think very carefully about what they were going to do about identifying the people that were publishing on their site, um, that largely for their own protection, because in the event that a complaint was made, they may well have to identify who the poster was. And we're all familiar with people uh, posting anonymously and um, hiding behind anonymity on these sorts of sites. I think in light of the consider these considerations about individual posters, you perhaps might want to think carefully whether TripAdvisor or a TripAdvisor-style review is the right place, place for patients to air their, their views. Plainly, they must be able to express what they think and what they feel about clinics. But is it really right that they should do it sort of a quick five minutes on a blog site? I'm not sure. Moving on to the HFEA, um, under the current law of defamation, the HFEA would be an operator of a website, and that would make them potentially liable for material published on that website. So you're hanging quite a lot of trust on the um, validity and the reliability of the patient's posting there. The HFEA could itself technically find itself on the end of uh, defamation proceedings from a clinic that was perhaps being bombarded with uh, allegations of a defamatory nature by particular um, patients who are dissatisfied with, with treatment. And it's, it's a potential real concern. There would be defences available to the HFEA to effectively try and pass the burden back onto the, the individual poster, but there's no guarantee that those would necessarily be available or be um, successful. Finally, thinking about clinics and clinicians. On TripAdvisor, there's a right to reply, and I think very often when you look at TripAdvisor, you read the comments and then you read uh, the responses or the restaurant reviews or, sorry, the chef was off that night, that's why your meal was so delayed or whatever it might be. So you can then form an objective opinion about whether or not the, the, the comment was justified. In this case, I'm not clear if it's anticipated that the clinics would, in fact, have a right to reply. If they would, great, they get their opportunity to put their view across. But if they fail to, to, to see a particular comment and don't, don't respond to it, are they taking as having admitted that particular allegation? Uh, if they don't get a right to reply, how long will these uh, criticisms remain on, on the site? How long are they expected to put up with them um, for? From a clinic's point of view, one would hope it would never happen, but if you had a persistent poster uh, 
publishing negative information about them on, on the HFEA website or anywhere else, but the HFEA would, would be uh, attracting it in particular. Um, it would be extremely unattractive but not unforeseeable to see a clinic thinking, I really need to do something about this. This is really damaging my reputation. It's on the HFEA website. People look at it. They believe what they say. They probably think it's been verified by the HFEA in some way. We need to put a stop for it and, and contemplate legal action. Uh, there are both financial and reputational implications for both parties um, on that basis. But I think we're all too well aware of how things proliferate on the internet if they're left un unchecked. Um, and I think clinics might also feel extremely protective towards their staff. If there is a named doctor or embryologist or whoever it might be being particularly targeted, they might well feel they, they have no other option but to step in. Not wishing to be the voice of, of doom and gloom, which I know is something my profession is, is very good at, but I, I would certainly urge from a legal perspective um, to proceed with extreme caution with something like this uh, and to really think about the sort of value that, that might really be offered to patients as a result of a, a service such as this. Thank you very much. So we've heard different views. I'm sure you'll have your views. Um, we have some roving microphones. If you wish to ask a question, please um, put your hand up. A microphone will come to you. I just, my name's Kirsty. I'm a patient, so I'm speaking from a patient perspective, having spent about 18 months going around in circles around this area personally. I'm professionally, I also work in the world of consumer data um, and what you can do with it. So... Firstly, I just wanted to say, fantastic. Um, I, th I think it's a really great thing to do, great thing to have a debate, um, and knowing lots of patients, patients are crying out for more information and desperately want that chat, that human perspective, which is entirely subjective, that's the power of it, in order to make their informed choice. Um, it's great having checkboxes and measurability and all of that, that's brilliant, but the subjective stuff. So my question, though, um, isn't going to go around that. My question is, is to HFEA. Coming from a niche group in this area, um, the question I ask is, is what do people like me think? What, what are the experiences of people like me? How does this clinic cater for people like me? And being a niche group, that's hard to come out. How are you going to help facilitate answering that question now? Are there any other similar questions? Hi, um, Olivia Montusky, Donor Conception Network. Because my question is also to Juliet, um, I'd just like her to clarify two points about what the HFA potentially want to do. Will you be able to identify who the poster is? Were you planning to do that? Because that seems like a rather important thing to do. And also, would there be a right of reply? Yes, please. There's a, another question up in the middle. My name is Romke Awe. I'm in the Registrar of Fangaini, doing ATSM and um, subfertility. The question is for you, Juliet. How long is the um, the message going to be on the website for? And if whatever the patient is written is correct, and the the fertility representer has changed, and like Mr. Kala said, and we've improved and things like that, will it be there as a stigma for the rest of the year, or what, what's the plan? It gives me an opportunity to clarify what we're planning to do. We're not going to be doing free text feedback. So from that point of view, um, we're not going to be doing a, what I think of as a TripAdvisor kind of service. TripAdvisor does actually have a star rating, but it's a blob rating rather than a star rating, and we do plan to do that. 
the reason why we're not going to do free text is it's partly the issue about um, having negative comments ringing in one's ears when you read it. But it's more about doing justice to it, and we don't have the resources to do that. So if you're going to do free text, you've got to, like NHS Choices do, you've got to invest a lot of money into making sure you do it safely from a legal point of view, fairly, and that you uh, make sure that you moderate uh, what's said um, to uh, make sure that it's yeah. not unfair or libelous or defamatory or, or, or actually a complaint, which needs to be handled by the clinic. But we are going to do um, a, a, some kind of star rating, and I think that does uh, enable people to give an impression of the clinic and how they felt being treated there. And it'll prob we'll probably do it on four or five different measures. Um, did I feel well supported in my decision making? Was it shared? Were the where relevant, were the costs transparent? Did I feel uh, I was treated with dignity and respect? Those kinds of questions. That might actually be a bit of a disappointment to some of you. So I think we're actually taking quite a cautious step. So that means I don't, I can't answer your question because we're not doing that about the message. And I think from an, from an identifying point of view, we're not going to ask people to identify themselves. We are going to track the IP addresses uh, that they are submitting their, their star rating from. Not necessarily to block ratings that come from lots of IP addresses, because it might be that a clinic's got an iPad in their waiting room and people are able to do it on their way out. But it does mean that because we've got a small sector and we've got inspectors look who have a portfolio of clinics, so they've got like 10 or 12 clinics they look after, if we identify 50 ratings coming from one clinic, we'll phone them up and say, are you doing a bit of marketing at the moment? Um, and uh, they might be doing that, or they might be gaming it, and they might feel a little bit of pressure... Um, that we are keeping an eye on what they're up to. And so that's how we plan to, to moderate it to the extent that we're going to moderate it. Thank you. What was about the question about um, how, how oh, may this relate, relate to me? So yeah. you may have a whole load of, well, one, just one, one group of couples coming through with a specific problem who feel strongly yeah. about their particular treatment, but it may not necessarily apply. So... Yes. And that, that's a difficult one because, it's of course, a good point. there yeah. is a spectrum of therapies or treatments available and certain clinics specialise in particular groups. I'm not sure is the honest answer. Um, I think it depends how big the niche is, if you like. But I think what we're also thinking of doing is if, if uh, we might um, allow people to submit a comment that goes directly, directly to an, our inspection team, for instance. So if they've rated a clinic very low or they feel they haven't been able to get something off their chest, they'll be able to submit a comment straight to the inspector who will then think about whether they discuss that with their clinic. And that's exactly what we do for the inspection at the moment. It's just that that, that conversation isn't aired on the website. So, yeah, so, so there it's is one all, to there, know. There is, think about it. there is that facility, isn't there? So on the HFEA website now, you can go onto a clinic, you can fill in a questionnaire, which is about 10 pages, it, it, it no, maybe 30 questions. <laughs> I think they're yes-no answers predominantly, and then there's a box of free text, and that will go through to the inspector of that clinic, but it's not available in the public domain, so that's what this debate is about. Do, do you have any comments on those questions, really? I think um, I'm really glad to hear that they're not going to go down the route of publishing free text, um, or even free text on a word cloud, um, because I really do believe that a lot of the views that patients have are very subjective, and what one patient looks for in a clinic is not necessarily what another patient looks for. Everybody has different expectations, everybody has a different experience. And I think if it's based on very subjective views, 
I don't think it's particularly helpful to patients, but if it's based on objective measurable issues, then um, depending on how they actually then portray that on the website, then yes, it could be very helpful. It's just a question more than a comment. If the anxiety about litigation and libel has now been allayed, and if patients will not be having a window for leaving open uh, field or text, and if Susan indicated that she's pleased with what is being proposed, does this mean that we are all in agreement and a happy family? <laughs> I, think, I think it depends on the eventual outcome. When this was first uh, outlined, it was put forward as a TripAdvisor star rating system. That was the exact words from the HFEA. And um, representing patients, that massively worried me because I, don't, I really don't believe that's helpful. I still think there are a lot of subjective issues out there which, yes, patients do want to share and they do want to hear other people's um, experiences at clinics. Should that be posted on the HFE website? I, I still don't think that that's right and that's the right forum for that. Um, I think there are lots of forums out there where clinics are talked about and discussed, staff are talked about and discussed, and I don't think that that kind of information is helpful to patients on the HFEA site. Question at the top. Thank you. Um, this is, I'm, I'm afraid it's a question for Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Raj, I'm remind us who you are. And Yakub. So I'm, I'm Raj Mehta. I'm a clinician in uh, Manchester. My, my question is, given the problem that Susan demonstrated uh, with the two comments that she had, Will you still publish the star ratings if there are a very small number of reviews? So if I had one review with a five star, would you still publish it? And would you, would you have N equals one on the website? Because as we know, uh, a small number of ratings probably makes no sense at all and it's, is, is, is misleading. Hi there, um, Tony for, uh, Jarvis from Fertility Road Magazine. So we get a lot of comments from patients about clinics they've been to, and we get lots of questions asked about which clinic we would recommend, which is something we always step away from. How do you think you're gonna compete with all the forums like Fertility Friends and so on, where, as Susan said, this is really openly talked about quite blatantly, sometimes in not the best ways. How do you think you're gonna get people to move away from there and go to HFEA and get more information that way? Yeah, I think another question at the back, please. Stephen Harbottle, I'm an embryologist in Cambridge, Cambridge IVF, and I'm also the chair of the Association of Clinical Embryologists. I'm afraid it's a question for you, Julie. For me. <laughs> it might well be, yeah. I was, I was just a little bit surprised, um, and I just wondered if you could clarify. You mentioned that the star rating system would be based predominantly on the you know, various views from patients and their experience, but I think there's another level to this that we haven't discussed tonight, which is the key performance outcomes from the clinics themselves and how that can be meaningly, meaningfully portrayed in the results. So, for example, a shift away from success rates per embryo transfer to success rates per embryo transferred, yep. Yep. which is a very different thing. And I just it's wondered happening. if you had a view on that. Why don't you? Yeah, I, th I think that's a valid point in terms of having some objective measure of quality, clinical responsibility, decision-making. And I personally feel that reporting outcome as live births per embryo transfer, not by per embryo transfer procedure, will be discerning enough as to which clinic chucking out two embryos in the first possible opportunity at every patient and paying little, atten little attention to the reduction of multiple births for all obvious reasons, 
and the others practicing responsibly and will replace fewer embryos, and as such, this parameter will be on their side. So this will address the, um, the anxiety that you are having about just focusing on other issues, but not the clinical uh, indicator. There will be a separate um, headline success rate of births per embryo transferred, and alongside that will be our assessment of the clinic from an inspection point of view, and alongside that will be whatever form we decide the star rating will take. So there will be three things that have equal importance on the top page of the clinic profile. So the idea is that you give a more rounded view of the clinic's performance and quality. And Raj, some clinics, as you know, treat very few numbers of people, 50, 50 a year. Some of the IUI centres even less than that. Some of them are treating, what, 1,500, 2,000 patients a year. Um, so you've got to recognise for, for some clinics the numbers will inevitably always be low. Uh, we definitely show how many reviews there are. We're looking at ways of doing that in a graphical way, so perhaps you can visually show that uh, a star rating is, is based on far fewer uh, raters than, uh, than if, if you had, like, I don't know, 100 or 200 patients responding. So, yes, yeah, sample size is really important, and we need to show that. And could that be represented over time? So, for example, you could have a bar, bar chart with see if the stars change over time, or the you know, the ratings change over time. Mm, possibly. So then there was the question. <laughs> I don't think we're trying to compete with the forums or uh, at all. Um, there isn't a service out there that publishes information about all licensed IVF clinics in the UK. That's what's unique about the HFPA. If you go onto Facility Friends, some of the clinics have got their own threads, and quite a lot of them haven't. If you go onto NHS Choices or um, there's another site, which I forget the name of, Patient Opinion, I think, they just they don't have the full set. So this is the only place where it will be the full set of, of IVF clinics. Um, so we're not trying to compete with them. If you want more prosy, personal, shooting-from-the-hip kind of views, then go to those places. That's fine. Ours is an attempt to do a, make a slightly more robust kind of approach of trying to get patient feedback. Can I ask Antonia, do you, I mean, how do you feel now that you've heard what Juliet's been saying? It, it certainly alleviates a lot of the, the legal issues yeah. to remove the free text aspect of it because that I think is potentially very problematic for all, all parties for, for the reasons we've all been discussing. I think one thing that occurred to me in terms of evaluating a rating system, a star rating system, is whether you have, you're going to invite patients to give that rating at any particular time in their treatment. Because mm. it occurs to me if you've successfully gone through a treatment cycle and everything's gone very well and you're successful, you're going to overlook perhaps you know, the, the small, you know, inconsistencies with patient care or something like that. If you've been unsuccessful and it's an extremely emotive treatment, your rating may well be affected on that, that basis, you know, potentially unjustifiably. Yeah, yeah. Just Can I just make a comment based on this one? Because it is not uncommon for people to make an assumption that patient, when they have a baby at the end of the treatment cycle, all is forgiven and all is forgotten. <laughs> That is totally and utterly not true. And we have been doing patient surveys for years and years. And honestly, the feedback that you get, it can't be more sensitive. And mm -hmm. there are so many patients who will indicate, despite having a baby as a result of the treatment, they would have appreciated it if it would have been made easier for them to get access to the unit through improved phone system. So it does not stop them making very helpful and constructive remarks. Equally, 
There are patients who did have negative outcome and they say they have been treated with dignity and with the utter dedication throughout their journey that they couldn't have asked for more. I don't doubt that at all. I just wonder if it would be a, a, hel a helpful metric yeah. in addition to, to, to asking those various questions. Okay, some more questions just on this side here. So I'm Caroline Spencer. Um, I'm from the Donor Conception Network, but also historically I've been a patient as well. So I'm, I'm interested in whether the reviews will indicate in some way the type of treatment that people have had, um, particularly whether they've had donation treatment with donated um, eggs or sperm, um, because it, it can be overwhelming um, when you move on or when you find out you need that type of treatment. Uh, what you really want to know is how a clinic has performed in that area and how they've performed in, in other areas with perhaps rates, what, what I'm going to term now, um, a standard IVF cycle could be very different. I think that's a very, very important issue and it also feeds into the whole question about different sorts of treatment and also getting feedback potentially from donors themselves. I think that's a really good point because, again, it comes back to the fact that not everybody is looking for the same experience and having the same expectation of the clinic. So to differentiate between people who are going through donor treatment, um, I can see it would be very important to make that distinction um, because you would be looking for something perhaps different from what you say is a standard IVF cycle. Regarding donation, is, I don't know if you've closed the door yet. Um, if you haven't closed the door, perhaps I wonder if there's an opportunity to uh, let people comment on different parts of a clinic's offering. So not just sort of what treatment they've gone for, but for instance, using a sperm bank, um, the counselling services, those sorts of things. Because maybe, maybe uh, someone's had uh, experience with one, but not all of those services. Well, I just wanted to sort of respond to that, but then throw something back out, if that's all right. Which is... What, what, what we're we're not struggling with, but unsure about, is well, you're all rational kind of people. Quite a lot of you have probably had medical training. You've, you've got your head around the stats. So your, your approach to this is how do we make this more granular and more robust and ask enough questions to cover enough bases? And I think that's the right question to ask. The, the point, there will come a point when people will stop filling it in because it's too much. And it will be too complicated and too, this doesn't cater for me. So what I think the balance in my mind, and I'm really not sure where to strike that balance, is how much do you simplify things so that you can encourage lots of people to respond and you ask them fairly generic questions without running the risk that you kind of lose meaning and differentiation between responses and, and not in, introducing so much, not complexity, but um, particular aspects without making people think, oh, been, you know, I've been through enough, I've come out of IVF um, and I don't need to be filling in a two-page form. So that, for me, I'd really welcome views on where we strike that balance. So are you going to have some sort of users, user group now going forward? To, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so question there, please. Hi, mine's actually for the ladies who are against the motion, if that's the right way of phrasing it. My name's Catherine, I'm a, an obstetric and gynaecology registrar, staff grade, working in quite a small DGH but dealing with the fertility clinic there and referring in to bigger IVF units when people reach that stage um, in, in their sort of journey. And I've sort of seemed to have a very different patient demographic for a lot of people here. My patients, by the time they get to the stage where we're advising IVF is the, or IUI or whatever is the way forward, just want that referral letter to go. They don't want us to send them away and say, look, you really need to look into what units are available. You really need to look at the feedback and the success rates. They, I might as well put the list of units that we can refer to on the wall and give them a dart. 
And I really want them to make an informed decision. And being able to refer them to a specific website where there is a, a succinct sort of summary of, of what they can expect from that place just seems, from my point of view, as someone who's desperately trying to get these people the best care for them, a really good idea. Um, and I just wondered how you would respond to that sort of from the point of view of people making these referrals, being able to direct them to a, uh, a well-respected, valid, one-off place where you know they'll at least get the basics of the information without feeling that you're directing them into the, the wild west that is the internet. Um, my name is Nehari Watson, I'm a patient and I'm also a biomedical research scientist, so my question is sort of more clinically based. Infertility patients are patients but they're also consumers and fertility is an area that's very difficult to conduct proper large-scale controlled clinical trials and there are ever more interventions and testing and investigations that come onto the market essentially that are invasive, that are expensive, that no one really knows what the true value is. If patient ratings become part of what the HFEA are doing in a regulatory body, are people concerned that you're going to move away from evidence-based medicine towards crowd-pleasing medicine? I'm Fiona Fox from the Science Review <coughs> Centre. So I care about accuracy and evidence and truth. That's what my day job is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, Juliet used the word robust, and I like robust. Susan said, this is great, but not on the HFEA website, because you go there for truth and accuracy and evidence. And so really, following on from that last question, what happens when 500 people say, I love this clinic because they gave me a homeopathic uh, treatment, and, and that's what I want. I mean, obviously, that's there, there for the few, but this is going to be on the HFEA website. All the many unproven treatments that they put, I paid £5,000 for this extra, but I'm delighted I did it, and yet it's unproven, there's been no RCT, so aren't you just going to be reinforcing the information, which is in the media all the time. The media is hyping and sensationalising all of these treatments before there's an evidence base, and then they go to the, the TripAdvisor and the HFEA, and it's reinforced by all these patients saying we want this treatment. So where does the robustness and the kind of authoritative stuff come in? Do you then start editing them, in which case it isn't Gentleman just behind you, please, because I think this is related. Yeah, uh, Keith Pollard, I'm an online publisher. We've been working in healthcare, in private healthcare, medical tourism. We cover a lot of, we've been running TripAdvisor stuff, medical tourism reviews in this sector for a while. Uh, I want to share some experience and, and, and ask you a question. Um, it's a minefield, and I'm very concerned at some of the risks you run. We run um, we gather a lot of reviews, we, we take texts, we moderate them. Um, some of the big issues around this are certainly some of the legal aspects. One, one of the issues for me in healthcare is that doctors, hospitals, clinics do not like this. And the speaker who said the clinic with a good marketing department is the one that gets the reviews is absolutely spot on. So I would, I'll tell you, our highest rated fertility clinics across Europe are those with the best marketeers. I'll be very honest about that. And it's partly about numbers and how, how you can encourage volume to get some valid results. The issue we've always faced is with negative reviews. I can tell you exactly what happens when a patient publishes a negative review about a hospital or a clinic on our site. There'll be an email or the phone call from the doctor or the clinic. Remove that review. That can't possibly be true. 
Now, it often is. We will check admission dates, patient numbers. But the, the healthcare profession, it's interesting here, the patient, the consumer view, who wants to see more consumer-style feedback from patients. It's a really, really tricky area. Yeah, a few, few questions there, a bit varied. Susan, I'm going to throw it to you to begin with. Um, I think the, the first comment was, um, why not have this good quality information on the HFE website? And I think where the information is um, robust and it's based on measurable, objective issues which matter to patients, then I think that's an entirely different thing from having subjective text and subjective views, um, even if it's not free text. You know, asking a patient, did you have a good experience at the clinic? is completely different from actually asking if the clinic provided the facilities that they absolutely had to provide. So did they provide counselling? So if you, if you have a list of um, issues which you can measure and every clinic is measured against the same issues and all patients are asked to complete the review so that you have a representative um, sample um, across the whole board, then I think, yes, that is good quality, robust information, or it could be if it's done in the right way. I still seriously worry about having very subjective comments from patients on a site like the HFEA, because I think that it does have the potential to go seriously wrong. Um, and I was the one that made the comment about the clinics having, um, or the clinics which have good marketing professionals being able to skew the results which appear. Um, and I think there's, there's no doubt that for me that that could happen and probably will happen. Um, some clinics have very good marketing and PR, but not all clinics have. And the clinics that don't have, I think, will end up looking a lot worse because they're not encouraging good reviews onto, their, um, onto the website because actually what they're doing is they're just concentrating on the patients and getting them through the treatment and giving them the best possible care. But some of the bigger clinics with the bigger budgets and the marketing budgets, I think could massively skew the end result of this unless it's done on um, an objective basis with a list of statements which are measurable and, and which every patient going through treatment has to complete. There were questions about the, the influence it may have on evidence-based medicine and other treatments. Coop, do you want to say? Yeah. My understanding that this, is, this initiative is part of a whole package that aims to improve the care for all involved in assist conception. And as such, I know I've been party to a meeting where there is a scientific and clinical advances advisory committee that the HFA has, where it has access to the expert in the UK about assessing evidence, and this is, will be factoring into the patient information that will be updated to reflect what works and what doesn't. So I can't see any contradiction between using this to reflect patient experience, which, as I said earlier, it is already on the NHS up and down the country, the friends and family test. That is not dissimilar. But before I move from this point, I'm really feeling it not particularly easy that we are doing two things. One. Yes, we had a snapshot access to some patients' views may not be representative, but this debate would have been well informed if Fertility Fairness Campaign has access to a lot of patients, did a survey objectively to demonstrate how would patients feel about this rather than us doing or, or representing their views in this context by proxy. That's one. The second one, the issue about the doctors complaining and it wasn't me removing this, 
I just ask a question. I should be happy as a clinician, but I'm not, because the question that needs to be asked, whose side are we on? If we are on the side of the patient, we should welcome any bit of information that help them make an informed choice. If we are on the side of the clinicians, I'm sure the clinicians can look after themselves. <laughs> can I answer the evidence one at some point? Yes. It doesn't have yes. to be now. But. Yes, I suppose one, one thing, just, just a little plug for the British Fertility Society in the way that we fuse yes. in with yes. Yes. Infertility Network yes. UK yes. and also with the HFEA, yes. we are writing patient information yes. and increasingly doing so. We're producing evidence-based guidelines um, and so there are sources whereby I appreciate it does involve looking on different websites, but there are sources for seeing um, what is best practice and, and evidence for the various therapies that are offered. Can I just make a comment? Yeah. Um, perhaps one of the questions um, for patients on, of something that could be included is um, actually does this clinic stick to evidence-based medicine yeah. um, or do they offer unproven treatments and, and charge patients for them? Okay, Juliet. I'm just interested that by this... this um, use of subjective and objective yeah. and evidence and truth. If someone, but assuming that the person is a patient and has actually been to the clinic, so we'll set aside the issues about gaming, if they've gone to a clinic and they have been asked a question about whether it is an aspect of their care, what they reply, and it's truth, that is a yeah. fact, yeah. That they have had an experience which is negative, positive, or indifferent, or it's okay. Thank you very much. That's it's it's based on someone's experience, um, but it's no more truth or lies than statistics about whether someone got pregnant or not. It's a fact. It's truth. So it's interesting to me that, um, and obviously you handle that kind of information differently. You count whether someone is pregnant or not. It's a it's a it's a either or situation. You can measure in different ways what someone's view was about something. There are lots of established ways of doing that counting. And all this is, is presenting information based on a different way of measuring it. And if you looked at the statistics for a clinic that's, that, that treats 50 patients in a year compared to the statistics that treats 2,000 patients in a year, and they have exactly the same pregnancy rate, that looks like truth to you. But that's not necessarily... Those, those clinics don't necessarily have the same outcome. The smaller clinic could have been very lucky or very unlucky, but because they don't treat enough people in a year, the statistics aren't as robust as the clinic that's doing the numbers of cycles that Adam's clinic's doing. So you could say, well, the 25% success rate in the IUI clinic that treats 20 patients is truth. Maybe, maybe not. It, they might have got lucky. So why is it we think that stats are somehow the holy grail and the yeah. truth? And patient feedback is He's wobbly yeah. and unreliable yeah. and not to be listened to. They both have a place. You need to do them side by side. What I would like to do now, because we're, we're drawing to a close, rather than take questions, does anybody want to make any quick statements? Because then I'm going to ask the panellists each to, to give a one-minute conclusion. So does anybody have anything pressing that hasn't been said already that they'd like to add into the, into the mix? Um. As we know, the feedbacks are more commonly to be really negative rather than positive and constructive. Have you considered actually giving like two arms? Uh, you are seeing this as not satisfactory, but we want to also know these factors, how positively you see them. In other words, you were satisfied with this, okay, why you think you have. In other words, not to be on the critical side 
only, but also another arm on the positive satisfaction, not only the negative side. Mm -hmm. So they are bound to also answer what they found is good in their experience. I am Dr. Aljubri, one of the religious Islam Kishar Hospital. Just to comment, please, more information to the patient. Easy information on website. Because like I had experience with one patient, it's one minute. BMI 43-37, she was told she's not eligible for IVF cycle. She went somewhere to have it done because the only reason she knows she's not eligible because she's high BMI and diabetic. So more information will help the patient. I just want to pick up a little bit on the point of the statistics and about the truth that when people uh, comment about a clinic, it's, it's facts and it's truth, and obviously, you know, the same way as statistics for pregnancy rates, they have to be uh, seen as such. The problem with statistics, though, and where the little flaw in that argument is, there's also something called bias. So it would be a valid statistic if you said that everybody that goes to a clinic has to respond, or every fifth person randomly, whatever. But if, it's an, uh, if people choose to or not to respond to something, then by definition, the people that do that, or, uh, it's a selection bias, and that never gives you valid statistics. So it was an interesting point, but I just wanted to bring the whole concept. So there is bias in this system, and I don't think you have completely valid information because of that. Thank you. Last question in the middle, please. Just going back to the whole TripAdvisor idea, I'm currently looking on booking a holiday with my mum, and mum has got various things in her head that have to be right. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> there's nowhere in the entire world that satisfies <laughs> mum's requirements. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very concerned yeah. that there will be clinics that will be dismissed because of valid or non-valid reasons, like my mum's, and actually there's nowhere to get your perfect treatment. That's my concern. That's a yeah. pretty good point. It's a easy one. Thank you. I think that's a lovely note on yeah. which yeah. to end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Chairman's prerogative and just mix things up a bit um, and ask a, a minute of conclusion from Antonio, Yakub, Juliet, and Susan. Yeah. In that, in that yeah. order. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm can you, can you certainly relieved to hear that um, the, the free text idea is going for the reasons we've been discussing earlier. However, I still have concerns about the value of a star rating. Uh, system when we're not talking about a simple product review and whether something arrived on, on time. I think this is so much more important than that that uh, I'm just not sure it, it, it quite meets the, the objective, although I completely accept the objective is a fully um, well-intentioned um, one. I think my secondary concern is that anything appearing on the HFEA website is going to appear to have some level of endorsement from the HFEA, and I think that's potentially dangerous. The HFEA is the regulator. Uh, it has to regulate the clinics, it's it has to inspect them, but I'm not sure it's the right forum, forum for um, effectively promoting the views on, on, on pa of patients, and there are lots of other um, ways in which that can be done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think the discussion has been extremely helpful. The fact remains that the principle is sound, and the HFA should be encouraged to go ahead with this initiative. However, they, would equally, they should be equally encouraged to take on board what we have heard tonight, but I can't see the initiative going ahead without involving the patients themselves at an objective level and hearing their views in the final format of conveying that information. 
Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. A really interesting debate, and I've taken lots of things uh, away from it to, um, to think about, more, more than we had thought about before, so thank yeah. you for that. I really agree with your point at the back. Nowhere's perfect, but we're not pretending that anywhere's perfect, and I think anyone who's been through the experience of fertility treatment and selecting a, patient, uh, a clinic and going through the process knows that nothing is perfect, whether or not you've been lucky enough to be successful in your treatment. And, and I also agree with Susan that one person's measure of quality or the thing that appeals to them about a clinic is not necessarily shared by someone else. I think that's the value of this approach, of balancing lots of different measures. Um, how likely are they to get you pregnant? Um, are they near your home? Do they have the same doctor that sees you every time? Do they look after you and make you feel supported and cared for and um, that it's been a, a supportive experience? And obviously we want to make sure that the views reported are as robust as possible. And I take your point about selection bias. The challenge then is for all of us to make sure that we let patients know that they can do this. And we will obviously put, be putting our back into it at the HFBA to make sure that this is a well-publicised service. And I hope that you will join me in doing the same. And in the meantime, if you want to help us, email me, juliet.tizard at hfba.gov.uk. We need lots of help in testing out and finessing what we're trying to do, yeah. and we yeah. really welcome your input. Thank you. Thank you, Juliet. Okay, just very briefly then, um, I'd just like to go back to the two patient comments which I put up during my presentation, um, where two patients reviewing the same clinic had a completely different take on it. Um, and I think that's where my concerns are, that if you, if you ask patients to rate a clinic, you get completely different ratings based on what their expectations were. Um, and those expectations may actually not be what other patients are looking for. And my other concern is that everything that's published on the HFEA website will be seen by patients as coming with the HFEA seal of approval. And if that clinic has a one-star rating, a four-star rating, or a five-star rating, I think patients will see it as being um, a five-star HFEA rating um, because I think a lot of patients will look at that. So um, I, ju I just think we have to be careful. I'm completely behind the idea of having good quality um, information available for patients. I just think um, comments and reviews from patients, which can be very, very subjective, very different, different reviews and different expectations of the same clinic posted on the HFEA site um, is still a little bit of a risky road to go down. Thank you.